Ephesians chapter 5, and from verse 22 uh, through to verse 33. As we come now to uh, the Bible, let's pray together. Let's pray. Our Father God, uh, we do ask for your help as we come to this, your word. Uh, Particularly, Lord, this uh, part of uh, the Apostle Paul's teaching, which is about the intimate space of family life, Uh, we pray, Lord, for Uh, the help of your Spirit to uh, allow us to see beyond any uh, barriers or wounds that we may have. Uh, Lord, uh, open up our hearts to to hear afresh uh, what you say in your word. Uh, Clarify our minds, Lord. Remove uh, confusion and uh, 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 all the misunderstandings there are about this, uh, this part of your word. I pray, Lord, you'd help me to say only what would glorify you. And I pray, Lord, that to all of our thinking would only be what we think would only be what glorifies you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, friends, uh, let's hear God's word. Ephesians chapter 5, and beginning at verse 22, and I'll read to verse 33. Uh, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife sees that she respects her husband. Every happy family is similar to one another. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. So Leo Tolstoy uh, 
famously begins his novel Anna Karenina. It's a lot of truth in what he said, isn't it? Isn't there? When a marriage or a family is happy, it tends to follow a certain kind of pattern, the pattern that we'll be considering here from the Apostle Paul and his teaching in the Bible. But there are any number of different ways that a marriage can get into difficulties or a family can become dysfunctional. Think of it like if you had a a beautiful glass vase or beautiful glass ornament. It follows a certain pattern. But if that glass vase or glass ornament was pushed off the table and landed on hard concrete, it would shatter into any number of different ways that were unpredictable. So here, as we teach through what the Apostle Paul says, his intention is not to get into all the myriad of varieties in which unhappy families can be unhappy in their own way. Uh, That sort of conversation is more for the pastoral counseling room, the, the listening ear. Here the Apostle Paul is teaching the pattern. Of course, that applies to every... Any number of different ways, all our families and marriages, and to singles, as we'll see. But the emphasis is on this pattern. Here, I think the easiest way to understand this passage is around two simple frames, and that is first, mystery. Think about that. And then practicality. And then we'll think about that. But as we get into this, and before I start to really get into it, and I'm sort of wobbling on the tee before I hit the golf ball down the course a little bit, but uh, just two other sort of pre-words that I think are significant. Uh, First of all, there are different interpretations of this passage that Christians have, and obviously I'm going to give you my interpretation. But this is not a point of our our fellowship as, as, as a church. As uh, uh, Pastor Ben alluded to already, we unite around the gospel. That doesn't mean these things aren't significant. They are. But uh, there's, there's liberty of, of difference of opinion on non-essentials like, like what Paul is teaching here. The other brief word I want to give is, is it, as I've talked to people about this area over the years, and again more recently, it has become more and more apparent to me that there's a massive amount of conversation about this sort of thing on the internet. Um, it reminds me of a cartoon that a medical doctor friend once sent to me. And in the cartoon, there's the, the doctor who's uh, interviewing a new patient. The patient is sitting on the table as they're getting to know one another. And, and the doctor says to this new patient, I need to advise you of our, of our new policy, which is uh, no sentences uh, that begin with, I read it on the internet, will be allowed. And, and somewhat similarly, we need to put to one side all that stuff. And in the sanctuary of the sanctuary, to have the emotional space by God's Spirit to hear afresh what the Bible's actually saying. And to do that, as I say, I think, first of all, mystery, 
and then practicality. So first, uh, the mystery. And we're going to work um, regressively through the passage from the, from the end to the beginning. And I, I think you'll see it's the best way to analyze the passage. I hope so. Anyway, I think it is. So first of all, mystery. And Paul um, describes this beginning in verse 31. He says, he's quoting from Genesis, as we'll see in a moment. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. So this is the mystery. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, with relation to this mystery, there are three elements we need to have clear in our minds and then apply them to our hearts and our feelings as well. Uh, The first, of course, is that Paul is quoting from Genesis. Uh, In verse 31, you don't have to turn all the way back to the beginning of the Bible uh, with me if, if, if you don't want to, but of course it comes from Genesis chapter 2. And the Apostle Paul is quoting from God's original uh, setting up the institution of marriage in, crea- in creation. And so uh, he's quoting from Genesis 2 verse 24. He says, therefore, uh, the, the Bible says, therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So what What the Apostle Paul is saying is, this mystery, this mystery is profound. What is the mystery? What it begins in creation, before the fall. This mystery is something that is hardwired into how God made everything. A mystery in creation. Not something made up by humans. Uh, an intended mystery of God in creation. Of course, related to marriage. So first of all, we need to say that, see that it is rooted all the way back into, uh, into creation. It's not something that society has made up. It's not a social convention. It's rooted in creation, this mystery. In the nature of things. Uh, But then, second, what he says about it, he says this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What the Apostle Paul means by that is the mystery of marriage is actually something, not only something that is hardwired into creation, an institution of God, not a social convention, but it is a message. It's actually about something. It's about Christ and the church and how Christ relates to the church. Now, one final part before we start to apply this idea of mystery, we need to have clear in our minds, which is how Paul uses mystery in this letter. He uses it a number of different ways. So if you you look back at me, if if you will, to chapter 1, verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9, but then if you look at verse 7, he begins to explain it. So he says, in him, of course, that's in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, that's Jesus' death on the cross, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins, according to the riches of his grace. 
which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. And he, he carries on talking, talking about it. So the, this mystery in, in Ephesians is related to the cross. His blood, the lavishing of his grace on us. And then he uh, explains that uh, fuller in, in, uh, in chapter in chapter 3, look down at uh, chapter 3, verse 3. He says, How the mystery was known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. And then he carries on. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made, to the, made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So that's important. So when Paul says that marriage is a mystery, he's not saying it is mysterious, hard to understand, unusual. What he's saying is that it's a mystery, meaning it is something that was hidden from creation, but has now been revealed in Christ. It was hidden, but has now been made known. What is this mystery? Verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles, that is uh, the nations, all the nations, are fellow heirs, uh, that is of course along with the, the Jews, members of the same body through faith in Jesus, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Or as he uh, further explains in uh, verse 9, chapter 3. So that he would bring to light this mystery that was hidden but is now revealed as the Apostle Paul preaches it. Bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You remember the heavenly places is the key theme of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And this idea of mystery is intimately connected to the to the heavenlies, the heavenly places. So creation, a mystery that was hidden that is now being revealed, refers to Christ and the church. Of course, what that means is that we fundamentally misunderstand what marriage is. So often, not always, but so often. Marriage is not about finding a relationship that will help us to be happy. A good marriage will help us to be happy, but that's not fundamentally what marriage is. Nor when uh, some preacher like me talks about how marriages aren't just meant to make us happy, is it then by opposite Merely a relationship of duty and responsibility. Of course, marriage is meant to make us happy and there are duties and responsibilities in marriage. But marriage is far more than either just a dutiful responsibility to our husband or wife or our children. And it's far more than merely like something that's going to make me happy. Oh no, it's a mystery. That which was hidden 
and has now been revealed related to Christ and the church, which means that if you are married, you are saying something about how Jesus relates to the church. I, um, when I uh, preach at a marriage, I often preach from this passage. I don't always, but I often do. And you'll know that in the marriage service, in, in the American culture, the, the minister uh, usually stands in the middle and there's the, the bride and the groom on one side and on the other side. And at this moment, in, 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 uh, as I'm explaining, if I am preaching from this passage, I often look out at the congregation and, and say to them, look, look at these... Look at the bride and the groom. And the bride and groom are staring at each other. They tend to ignore anything you say. They're just so in love with each other, right? But I look at the, the congregation. Look at how the bride and groom are looking at each other. That's a pale image of the way that God loves you. Designed by God. Not, not sentimental. A mystery hidden in creation from Genesis chapter 2 that is now being revealed. And that, of course, means that if you're married, your marriage is a pulpit. Maybe the most powerful sermon you will ever preach is the way you relate as a Christian couple, as a married couple. Of course, it also means something if you're single. Because the ultimate marriage is still to come. And while I know single people who wish they were married, and I know married people who wish they were single... And I understand that if you're single, you may wish that you were married. Even if in God's providence you don't get married in this world. If you're a Christian, you have not missed out on the real marriage. The real marriage is still to come. And even the best of Christian marriages is but preparation for that marriage in heaven with Christ and the church. We've got to get this, the meaning of marriage, the mystery of marriage, um, uh, straight in our minds, uh, uh, first, first of all. But then there's the practicality, not just the mystery, but also the practicality. And, of course, there is practicality here. Now, remember, I, I said that we're not going to uh, go into all the different ways that, that marriages can break down or families can break down. That's much, for, much more for the pastoral conversation than for the pulpit. And it, it's just unpredictable, all the different things that can go wrong. I've often been surprised in conversations of people, of things, ways that things can break down. We're not going to get into that level of application because that isn't what Paul is uh, doing here. But nonetheless, there is a practicality uh, that, he, uh, that he speaks to. And as we get into this, uh, when I 
Remember I said that it isn't a point of, uh, we're united around the gospel, not around our interpretation of Ephesians chapter 5. And there's a diversity of opinion in any church on exactly how you apply this. But as we get into this, when, we, when I was um, ministering at Yale, at New Haven, next to Yale University, and Yale University, of course, is not known for its traditional interpretation of marriage, among other things, what I would often say is this, that a biblical, not traditional, a biblical, let's use that phrase, a biblical interpretation of marriage needs to cut both ways. It should cut against patriarchalism, and it should cut against radical feminism, either way. Let's listen to see how uh, the Bible does that. Uh, First of all, there's an instruction, of course, to husbands, uh, uh, as Paul says in verse 33, as he's summarizing the practicality. Remember, mystery and now practicality. As he's summarizing the practicality, uh, he um, addresses husbands first and then wives. So first husbands, verse 33, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Uh, Note, husbands, as we begin to get into this, uh, that the apostle Paul does not say, Husbands, tell your wives to submit to you. There is an instruction to husbands and there's an instruction to wives, but the instruction to husbands is to love. And there are two channels of love down which the Apostle Paul's argument goes here. The first is to love your wife as, uh, as yourself, the way you love your own body, to love your wife. And, of course, Paul is... is, is is referring here to the ultimate marriage where Christ is the head of the church and the church is his body and Christ loves his, his body, the church, and in a sense then he's loving himself because we are his body. And he's saying therefore to a husband that, that as you're now one flesh, to love your wife is in a sense to be loving yourself. But there's a deeply practical element to it as well, isn't there? Often when I'm in conversations of husbands who are struggling to adore their wives or love their wives, I almost want to say, don't you realize it's just, don't don't cut off your nose to spite your face. It's going to do you good to love your wife. It's not the ultimate reason. But if for no other reason than it's good for you, love your wife. It won't do you any good to be unkind or dismissive or rude and love. It's at least because you're loving yourself by that, by that token. But of course Paul has a higher element of what it means to love, which he describes earlier in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And, of course, what the Apostle Paul here is uh, describing is Jesus' death on the cross. So, husbands, uh, our love for our wives is a giving up of ourselves. 
Whatever you think headship means, according to the Apostle Paul, what it means is self-death. Giving yourself up for her. And if you're not yet married, and you're thinking about being married, <laughs> um, if you get married, you're, you're, you're sign, signing up for the cross. You're giving yourself for her, self-sacrifice. And then, of course, there's uh, counsel for wives as well. Paul says here, wives, submit to your husbands. I really do wish we had a a different word uh, than the word submit. There's nothing wrong with the translation. It's a perfectly good translation. The Greek word simply means to arrange under, and and submit is a perfectly good word. But in, in our day, in the way the word submit is used in our context, in our culture, even in church life, it is so tarnished by all sorts of associations that have nothing to do with what the Apostle Paul says here. Certainly a wife is not to submit to something that is not in the Lord. That is not what Jesus would want for you. That's why Paul makes that very clear, doesn't he? To submit uh, in, uh, in the Lord. Uh, but the word is, I wish we had a better word. I, I wish I either had a year to think about it or someone much brighter than me could come up with a different word. There's so much terminological confusion about it. When, um, when Rochelle and I do uh, premarital counseling or marital counseling or something like that, uh, she'll sometimes say uh, it's, it's much easier to follow someone if they're actually giving themselves for you. And of course, the reverse is true as well. It's much easier to give yourself to someone if they're following you. It does go together. But there's so much terminological confusion about it. I, uh, th- these words that tend to float around in Christian subculture about what we're talking about here, the egalitarianism versus complementarianism. And people have all sorts of different definitions of what those sort of things mean. E- egalitarian view of this passage, essentially saying that there isn't a difference in role here. I, I remember one couple that we, uh, Rochelle and I, got to know who very strongly wanted to make it clear that they were an egalitarian couple, that there, there was no distinction of, of roles in their marriage. As we got to know them, we were were flummoxed to discover that in reality, though they were sort of labeling themselves out there, we're egalitarian, they were saying everywhere, Uh, actually, well not everywhere, certainly a lot of places, actually when they went shopping to the, the mall, the wife literally could not decide which stores she would go to in what order. The husband decided. And we, I remember thinking, we were talking about this, thinking like, they're claiming to be egalitarian, but actually the husband is ruling that, that woman with a rod of iron. 
And it's almost as if the label egalitarian is used to stop anyone looking too closely as to what's actually going on. On the other hand, I've got to know complementarian couples, and I'm thinking one particular complementarian couple I got to know, where they are very strong to say that we are definitely a complementarian couple. The husband is the head of the household and all this sort of thing. But actually, when you got to know them, the husband believed, uh, for reasons of personal conviction, that on a Sunday... Uh, they should not mow the grass in their, in their backyard. I'm not saying that he was right in that conviction, but that was his personal conviction that on a Sunday uh, it should do no work and therefore should not mow the grass. That's what he thought. Uh, but when you got to know him, actually, uh, the wife wanted the grass mown on a Sunday and the grass was always mown on a Sunday. And they were complementarian. There's the label and there's the reality. I come from a very long line of powerful women. And my great, the story goes about my great-grandmother, who of course was a Victorian by influence and would have affirmed every jot and tittle of this passage for sure, every little bit. But my great-grandmother planted a church in London. She would go to, there's a place in London still where you can speak publicly called Speaker's Corner. And she would go to Speaker's Corner. And she would preach, evangelize. This is, this, you know, this Victorian lady. The family story goes that when, if you know your history, there was a time when it was controversial whether women would get the vote or not. Of course, it's one, it's... Very glad that women do have the vote, but back in the earlier 20s, there was this movement called the suffragettes who were campaigning that women should have the vote, a good thing too. But my grandmother didn't agree with that campaign. She didn't want women to have a vote, and her reasoning was this. If women got the vote, she would have half the influence. Because before then, her husband always voted her way, but after that, he'd have his own choice and she'd have her choice. She would say, any woman who can't get her husband to, do, to vote the way she wants isn't much of a woman. I'm not saying that's right either. I'm just saying there are these labels and then there's the reality. And what Paul, of course, is calling us to, if we're husbands, is to self-sacrificial love. And if we're wise to, to follow and respect and honor and look up to our self-sacrificing husbands. But you're going you're to work it out in your own way if you are married. Not, not, they're, 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 there are different, all the crevasses and nooks and crannies of how a marriage works. Different personalities, different gifts, different... Don't let someone judge you if you're following this passage, but you're doing it in a slightly different way than they do it. I, I like the um, Charlie Brown cartoon. Uh, and uh, there's one Charlie Brown cartoon where Charlie Brown is being criticized by Lucy. And in the first part of the cartoon... Uh, Lucy uh, stands before Charlie Brown and says, Charlie Brown, do you want to know what the whole problem with you is? 
And Charlie Brown says, no, I don't. Leave me alone. And he wanders off. And there's another sort of panel in the cartoon where Lucy's looking a little, it's like, hmm. And then the last one is, she calls after him, the whole trouble with you, Charlie Brown, is you won't listen to what the whole trouble with you is. And we can be so (sighs) pharisaical, insisting that we, every other person does this exactly the way we do it. Marriages and families, Have this passage be the rhythm of your marriage. But figure out how you, how you play this self-sacrificial following tune. Well, I said I wasn't going to get into uh, practical, uh, like dealing with the, the dysfunction and difficulties of marriage, because that isn't what the passage here is. It's the, it's the framework, the mystery and the practicality. But let me give you two two tools, or one really in two different ways that I've often found very helpful when I tell people. The two most important phrases to know in any marriage are the following. I'm sorry. I forgive you. If you can... Learn that, not just say it, of course, mean it. Then your marriage can get through just about anything. Rochelle and I, of course, were talking about this passage this week as I was getting ready to preach on it, and she was uh, shopping at Hobby Lobby, and she saw this sign at Hobby Lobby that I thought was, was good. The first to apologize is the bravest, The first to forgive is the strongest. The first to forget is the happiest. Well, anyway, the mystery and the the practicality. Let's pray together. Lord God, we pray for those here who are not yet married and perhaps wish to be. We pray, Lord, that if it's your will, you provide a wonderful spouse for them. And in the meantime, Lord, you give them grace uh, to look forward to the real marriage. Uh, We pray, Lord, for those of us who are married that the husbands will be self-sacrificial in the love and the wives uh, respect their husbands. We pray, Lord, that we as a church will be filled with flourishing marriages, not just so that we can be happy and not just so that our children can have good homes, but so that those outside the church, those getting to know you, those younger Christians, would have a living, breathing, walking mystery revealed to them in how we relate of how much you love us. And we pray, Lord, for those here this morning who don't yet know you, 
We pray, Lord, that even as we've walked through this passage, as I think of that married couple looking lovingly at each other, that your love, Lord, would be made real to them by your Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.